Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of So Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice, and we welcome you to the show, along with Dr. Tim Hayes. Today is Tuesday, January the 5th, 2016. I hope I've been saying 2016. Um, Our calling number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because then that makes this your show. So we do already have a caller, but first let's welcome Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and uh, welcome everybody once again to the new year. And uh, I accidentally was right that yesterday was the fourth when I did the opening. I didn't have a clue what day. Well, I knew what day it was, but I didn't know the date. So my guess was good. And uh, I did not say 2016, so retroactive yesterday's show was in 2016. So anyway, we're delighted, we're honored that you're here to join us and that we get to share this time to talk about the first century Aramaic process of forgiveness. And I'd like to start out, and especially we've got a caller, we'll make the uh, the introduction short, but I'd like to start out with a uh, uh, kind of a review from the responsibility communication process communication did you hear what i think i said we talked about that we've been talking about that a fair bit in the last couple of weeks and i was just reminded of one of the principles from that workshop that can be really useful and helpful in the healing process sometimes when one is in pain or turmoil or trauma it can be difficult in the face of the person that our mind is telling us caused our pain or our turmoil or trauma to acknowledge that it is our pain or turmoil and trauma. We want to have a conversation about them and how it's all their fault. And I was talking to someone this morning uh, who was processing some pain around a, uh, what their mind showed them was around a relationship issue that was happening. And what became really clear, and it's just a, a very useful tool is to come out of the state of denial when you're in pain. And on a practical level, what denial looks like is something happened in my world. I have pain and my mind tells me 
that the pain about is about that which happened. And so what I will tend to do when my mind tells me that lie, and I say lie because what happens in your world, short of somebody, of course, coming up and punching you in the nose, is never the cause of your pain. The cause of your pain is the content of your mind. And you'll notice that people, when, they, when they're confronted with the story they've got about their pain and, and it's shown that the, the story they're telling couldn't possibly be the cause of their pain, they'll tell another story and another story and another story, always thinking and speaking as though something outside of them is the cause of something inside of them. And that process never leads to healing because that process doesn't have anything to do with truth. And so I was talking with someone this morning, and they were telling me about their sadness and their hurt around what their mindset had happened in a relationship. And I reminded them that that sadness and that hurt was a quality that they knew long before they ever met the person that they were currently blaming it on. And they, of course, had to say, yes, uh, yes, I did know that sadness and that hurt. But it's all because they... and. It was just interesting two or three times someone who, you know, is familiar with the tools and uses the tools. And it's just how easy, and I, and I speak of myself here too, is how easy the mind can distract us from the healing process by thinking or speaking about someone else when we're in pain or turmoil. Remember, that's our definition of denial. And specifically, when we do that, we have to hide we have to dissociate from the cause of the pain. And once we dissociate from the cause of our pain, you can't change that part of your mind that you're dissociated from. And that part of your mind you wear on your sleeve, everybody in town knows it's there and bounces off of it. The only person who doesn't know is the person who is in denial and dissociation. So just, just inviting everybody to really get what that dissociative process means. It means that I can't touch the part of my mind that I so desperately want to change that is the cause of my pain. And so, you know, the person I was speaking with is familiar with responsibility and, and was able to say, yeah, and I've got hurt and sadness, and then burst into a conversation about what this other person did. And I would say, well, take a breath, and, and now, wait a minute, now, you said you had some hurt and sadness, right? Yeah, yeah, I've got all this sadness coming up, it's just, and, and boy, when they did, blah, 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 it's like, well, well, wait a minute, take a breath, stop, you have hurt and sadness, right? Yes, yes, I have hurt and sadness. Okay, so tell me about it. Well, they did this, and they did that, and if only that I expected, and it's like, stop. And just notice how the generational mind, and if you really want to heal your generations, if you really want to heal the spider web of genetics that goes, goes back through your generations that inclines you towards certain perceptual realities that are based in hostility, if, if you really want to heal that, those things, if you really want to open the space for your generations, your parents, their parents, their parents, your children, their children, your siblings, to be free of those dynamics, somebody has to make the breakthrough to doing it differently. And so the invitation is, and, and you know, if you, if you don't say a word, if you have to call a timeout in the situation because it's awkward, difficult, embarrassing, I'll feel, you know, whatever, 
that I don't want to speak this to the person that I'm currently blaming, then take a time out, get in your own space, and have a conversation inside yourself about what's happening inside of you. Stop conversation about them. Because it's never about them. Again, short of somebody, cancel the thought, coming up and punching you in the nose. Your pain is caused by the content of your mind. Your pain has nothing to do with your story about somebody else and your words and your thoughts about somebody else. You brought the pain to the party. You brought the turmoil to the party. If you want to stop creating your life out of that, and bringing that to the party, then what you have to do is you've got to stop creating your life out of that and bringing it to the party. Well, how do you do that, Michael? Well, all of the above. If you go back through all 1,300-plus hours of archives there are, in all those hours of radio shows, I've never said a word about anything else but exactly how to do that. So if you want instructions on how to do that, we invite you to go back to whatever it was. I think it was January 30th. Six years ago, or five years ago, and start listening. And I won't say at all, if you listen to all 1,300 hours, I won't say a word any, about anything other than here's how you do that whenever I talk about the tools or the how-to. And so have a conversation inside yourself. Here I am in my sadness again, in my fear again, in my frustration again, in my rage again. And what I want to do is heal that. Which tool will I use? Shall I go to the forgiveness tool? Shall I use still point breathing? Shall I do a mind shifter? Shall I I use the communication tool? Should I use the codependence reality management worksheet? Should I use the commitment? Should I look at the circle of life and how to play it and identify where I am on the lower path and, and identify how to get to the upper path? Which tool do I want to use to reach back through and heal the generational inclination to talk about everybody else as a cause of what's happening inside of me. It takes such deep learning, and it is difficult to do. And what we're looking to do is to become people who are able to do that consistently, consciously, purposely, and open the space for others to do that consciously, consistently, purposely. Because when we can get, you know, you go back to Yeshua, the physicist, 2,000 years ago, and he says, a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. Now, I think if you look at that context, you will realize he was not talking about bread. (laughs) He was talking about the whole of humanity. And the leavening, remember, I was talking to someone the other day and they didn't know what leavening was. So in case those brain cells aren't yours, if you're going to bake bread, you put leavening in it in order for it to rise. So you've got, you know, maybe a two-pound loaf of bread and you might take a, an eighth of a teaspoon of leavening and put it in a two-pound loaf of bread. A little leavening will cause the whole loaf to rise. It will cause an action within two pounds of bread, this little tiny bit of leavening. If we can get a critical mass, that that particular principle is simply a statement from a physics point of view of critical mass. If we can get enough actual human beings 
that is, those who live as love in their bodies and in their worlds, who when they're in upset or pain, will stop and go, oh, I'm in upset and pain again. Boy, has my mind got a story about this. Oh, I could talk about how they said this, and they looked at me like that, and they did this, and they had that conversation with this person, and they went this way, and they went that way. I could tell myself all those stories, and that will not do one thing to put me in touch with directly and heal the root of my pain. When I check out of what the whole culture's doing, talking about everybody else when they're in turmoil, and I come back inside myself, and I have a conversation with myself about responsibility and healing, then I'm going to heal that part of my mind. And when I do... I will open an energetic dynamic within my bloodline that will open a space for everybody in my bloodline to receive that gift. And I will become part of the leavening that will change this dynamic for all of humanity. And when this dynamic changes for all of humanity, poverty, suffering, and disease will disappear. Starvation will disappear from the planet. War will disappear from the planet. Murder will disappear from the planet. Divorce will disappear from the planet. It's a pretty big project, but I think we can do it. And so that's what we're here to do. And if you haven't touched into the main tool that we use, the forgiveness process, we invite you to go to the website, whyagain.org. And in the middle of the page, you might have to scroll down a little bit, you'll see a red and white bullseye. Click the bullseye. And that will open a whole series of links. Here's how you do it. It'll walk you right through the whole forgiveness process, right up to and including there are at least 16 different radio shows where either Dr. Tim or Jeannie or myself has walked somebody through the whole forgiveness process. And you'll know how to do that. And hopefully you'll take it as a practice. You do it on a conscious, consistent basis. I was sharing a couple of weeks ago some new research that comes out that, if I'm remembering the number correctly, in order to create a new habit, it takes 66 days. So we're not going to suggest you do five worksheets a day for 40 days. We're going to suggest you do five worksheets a day for 80 days. Create a new habit, and you'll be in the habit of forgiving, and your life will change so dramatically that when you talk to me two months from now, you won't know you're living in the same world. And so we're honored that you're here to share with us. We are holding the space that this new year will be the year of healing for every mind, heart, and being on the planet. And let's say welcome to Dr. Tim and hello and see what Dr. Tim has got on his mind today. Hey, Doc, how do you be? I'm doing very well. I have on my mind that there's a caller with a hand up and we should go there. Okay, well, we'll wait to talk to you and talk to our caller first. Let's say hello to our caller. You've got a caller for us, Jeannie? Hello, Jeannie. Yes. Take your mute button <laughs> I off. Couldn't my, I couldn't get my phone to switch over where my mute button was. Anyway, yes, we do. It's 434 area code. You're on the air. Who do we have and where are you calling from? Khalil Reed, Charlesville, Virginia. Welcome. How can Hi, we support was, you today? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. 
I've been afraid of going to hell. I've been afraid that I would go and burn forever just because I don't know God or don't come to him right away. Hmm. That's kind of a hellish place to be, isn't it? Sounds like you've uh, you've been having the experience. Yeah, I've been kind of nervous that, that that's real and I'll, I'll go there if I don't come to God right away. Hmm. Well... You know, there are a lot of stories out there about God, you know, this theological monstrosity that has a beard and is ready to send you to a fiery place. But if you look at the real definitions from the ancient Aramaic, hell, number one, the word is Gehenna, and it's a fiery place that was outside the city uh, of Jerusalem, and it was continuously on fire. It's where they burned garbage if uh, if there were paupers who died and they didn't have money to take them to have their bodies burned. It's called the Gehenna, fiery place, hell. And, and they used to use it as a threat with little kids. And it worked pretty well to keep them in line. And so they created one for big people. If you look at the ancient scriptures, God is love, period. That's it. End of story. All the rest of men's story. That's not love's story. That's not something love is even capable of. Men are capable of that because of their unresolved pain. So I would support you choosing to go to love every time you're in turmoil or pain and use the tools to do the work required to free yourself of hostility or fear or anything other than love. And then rather than having to go to God, you'll be living in God. Remember where the the ancient scripture says, "In, in him, in love, we live, move, and have our being. When we forget that, we're stuck in men's world. Okay. And when we let go come, of men's world, then we're living in love. How come people have been saying that they've had near-death experiences with hell? What is that from coming from? Well, you know, I can take somebody, and somebody I don't even know, and in three minutes put them into a somnambulistic state of hypnosis, a deep state of hypnosis, and I can describe hell to them and then tell them that they're going to go and have a taste of it. They're going to experience it. And they will come back and tell me some of the most horrid stories of their experience of hell that you can imagine. You buy into Dante. You know, the whole idea of hell showed up when Dante did the Inferno. That was his tortured interpretation of life without love, without God. And so we can hypnotize people into believing all that stuff. And they'll have an experience of it. But that doesn't make the experience the actuality. All right. Now, we either live, move, and have our being in love, or we don't. And, you know, something something that my mind comes back around to over and over again that I realize, I, it's, it's kind of like something that I discover anew often, And that is how amazing it is that people can be convinced to believe anything. And once they believe it, their minds will construct realities. Remember that reality is the output of the human mind. You know, we've we've got CIA research on, on perception that says we do not record reality, we construct reality. And if you fill a mind with all kinds of thoughts of terror and trauma and things that are going to get them in fiery places, 
they will construct that in their minds. So there are millions of people on the planet that have been horribly abused religiously by people who believed that God wasn't loved, that, that this was the game of punishment and eternal damnation in hellfire. I don't envy people who've bought into that and believe that because if, in fact, we are made in the image and likeness of the Creator, which we're told we are, that makes us creators. We can create that experience. Again, I can take somebody in a state of deep somnambulistic hypnosis. I can tell them, you know, they're standing on a stage in front of an audience, and I can tell them in that state of hypnosis that they're standing on the bow of a ship and they will look down on the stage and their mind will literally show them a picture of themselves standing on the bow of a ship and the ocean waves rolling over the ship they'll experience that with all of their senses I can tell them that water is spraying in their face and they will wipe the water off of their faces because they will feel that water. I can tell them that the broomstick I just handed them is a fishing pole, and they will look at the object in their hand, which is clearly a broomstick, and they'll see a fishing pole. And I can tell them that they're going to cast it out and catch a huge sailfish, and you watch, and they will experience that. doesn't make any of it true, but they'll experience it. That always amazes me. Every time I come back around to how powerful the mind is at believing whatever it's told. The key is that we have to come to the point of loving truth enough where we can throw out that which is not true and experience that which is true. Also, uh, will I be, will things get better for me as far as like financial, not financial, but as far as me getting friends and things like that? Well, here's my input, is that we are creators, and today the results that you and I have created in our lives, you and I have created. What we offer on our website and with with this radio show is a set of tools for changing the dynamics of how we create our world. So if I hold, for instance, a reality in my mind that, you know, people don't particularly like me and don't make friends with me very well, then what will happen is once I buy into that self-created belief, or maybe it's a belief that was given to me by my power person, might have been dad, might have been mom, then I'll behave in a way that people will shun me and turn away from me. And it won't be because I'm not likable or lovable. It would be because I believe that I deserve to have people dislike me and turn away from me. And so I will attract people and I will behave in a way that will seem to bear out what I believe. It's been called self-fulfilling prophecy. As I take the tool of forgiveness, and again, go to whyagain.org, click the bullseye, start using the reality management worksheet. There are full instructions that are free on how to use it. And if you'll do that, and if that's an issue for you, you start to do the forgiveness process around that issue, all of a sudden, the people that yesterday seemed to shun you and turn away from you and not want to befriend you will go, hey, Charlie, how you doing? Come on over. We're having a party. And and find you lovable and likable and want to hang out with you. That's okay. the kind of difference that I've seen in people's lives. And the same with finances. If I believe 
that I deserve to be in poverty, then what will happen is the world I construct, the realities I construct between my ears will guide me to do behaviors that will keep me in poverty. And so as I do those behaviors, I am in self-fulfilling prophecy. I prove to myself that I'm supposed to live in poverty. The minute that I change my mind, that will change. When I first started doing this work, I was in the business world, and I had three businesses. I had 60 employees. I turned over more money than I'm sh- I, I wish I'd ever gotten rid of now because <laughs> I could use it for a lot of the projects that we're working on. But I, I left the business world to do this work full time. And the first seven years that I did that, there were times when I didn't know how I was going to feed my kids tomorrow. It was day to day. Can we pay the rent this month? Can we pay the electric bill? Can we pay the phone bill? Can we put food on the table for the kids? For seven years I did that. And I can, I can tell you precisely to the minute, not by the clock, but where I was when that changed for me. I'd been doing a series of workshops at Unity in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I was driving down I-95. It was the last of a seven-week series of workshops and I had $102 in my pocket. I'm getting ready to go down and do one more workshop, and the next morning we're packing the car, loading the kids up, and going back to North Georgia. Uh, got to restock the house with food, and you know we, we had had, it was right after Christmas, just on December 24th, the pipes froze. I'd rented this house. I was working on writing my book, and the pipes froze, and we couldn't live in the house, so we went to see some friends in South Florida. The last in a series of workshops that I did, I'm on my way down there, and, and the, the name of the workshop that night, the, I had come up with a series of, of seven titles for those workshops, and the name of that workshop was Still Waiting for Your Ship to Come Out, to, to Come In, Which One Did You Send Out? So I'm driving down I-95 wondering, I'm staying with some friends up in North Palm Beach, I'm driving to Fort Lauderdale and wondering how am I going to get Gas in the car, I've got $102, you know, out of the workshop tonight. I might get that much again out of the presentation. I'm going to do my share of it, and part of the share of it goes to Unity. How am I going to put food in the fridge and get back to North Georgia? I got to Hillsboro Boulevard on I-95, and I'm contemplating this, and my guidance says, get off the highway, find a bank, Take $100 of those small bills that you've got and turn it into a $100 bill. Go and exchange it for a $100 bill, and tonight at the workshop, give it away. And I go, what? Are you crazy? Okay, I'll follow the guidance. I got off at Hillsborough Boulevard. I went and found a bank. I got a $100 bill, and I created an exercise that night where I talk to people about, you know, the scriptural principle of abundance and giving and how much do you get back? You get 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times. Everybody agreed they wanted 1,000 times back, and they all wanted a million dollars. So, okay, take 10,000 out of your pocket and give it away. Well, let's not go that far. Okay, how much are you willing to give away? If you, if you are, take a check out and write it for that amount or take the cash out of your pocket, leave the check blank so whoever ends up with it gets the money, Stand up, hold it in your hand with your hand closed, walk around the room, and on signal, hand it to somebody. 
and receive from them whatever they've got in their hand. We did that maybe six or seven times, had people exchange whatever was in their hand, but you weren't to look at it. You just gave it to somebody, and, and then we called a halt to the exercise. I gave away a $100 bill, and there was a woman who gave away a $100 bill. Biggest challenge that night was the, people who, the two people who got the $100, and they were like, well, well, this is just an exercise. We have to give it back, right? No, that's what you gave away what you gave away, and you got what you got. I got a $20 bill. So I left the, the, uh, the workshop. I went back up the place we were staying, and I borrowed some money from the person I was staying with to load the car and take my kids back and, and, uh, and finish writing. And the person we were staying with was like, Michael, you're just getting things going here. You need to stay here. You've got a, you're starting to develop a following. Don't leave. And it's like, no, I've got commitments in, in Atlanta. I've got a workshop that I'm set up to do next weekend. We need to go. So we packed the car, put the kids in the car, and get in the car. And for the first time in about 60,000 miles, I turned the key, and not a thing happens. Not even a click from the battery. It's totally dead. And I took that as a signal and said, okay, I'm going to stay. We unpacked the car and stayed. The next week, the phone started to ring, and I had a private practice beginning right then and there, and I made three times as much money that week as I had made in any week in the seven years I'd been doing this work. Now, prior to this, I was driving. I, had, I was single at that time. I had a Mark III on one side of my driveway, and I had an Eldorado on the other. I had a penthouse apartment in one city, in homes in two other cities in two countries. And I gave all that up to go back to teaching. The week after I did that exercise, I made three times as much as I'd made in any week in seven years, and it's never dropped below that since. Now, did that happen because I gave away $100? No. If that were it, anybody who gives away $100, that would happen to. And, and I've noticed that isn't how it works. What happened was I changed my mind at the root. It was an issue I'd been working on for a long time. I changed my mind at the root. Now, what my study has been over the last 40 years 45 years of doing this has been how do we get to change our minds at the root? One of the tools I just told you about the early part of the show is when you're in conflict, when you're in pain or turmoil, instead of talking about somebody else, you go inside and talk about yourself. You deal with what's going on inside of you. You apply the forgiveness process. You use the tools. So every tool that we laid out, if you were on the show the last couple of days, we laid out all of the different workshops that we do and the DVDs that we have. All of those tools are about how to get to that deepest place in your mind where that change can be affected. So take the tools, put them to work. Your financial situation will change. Your relationship situation will change. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you. Nice to hear your voice. Let us know how it unfolds as you use the tools. It's a delight to hear from you. All right, what's the website again? www.why again. A G A I N. Why again? The name of my book is 
Why is this happening to me again? So the website is whyagain.org, or you can just put in Michael R-Y-C-E, and it will come up with our website. Thank you. The place to find the instructions for the main forgiveness process is the center of the page. There's a red and white bullseye. Click on that. It will open a whole series of links, and just one by one go through those links, and you'll have all the support you need. And any questions you have as you start to use the tools, call back in the show, and we're delighted to hear from you and absolutely committed to supporting you in healing. Thank you. All right, delighted. Thank you for calling. Blessings. Great question. Great opening to share some of the tools. So, Jeannie, do we have anybody else with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Nope, it's all quiet, so let's go back to Dr. Tim. Well, let's talk to Tim. Hey there, young man. Well, that was delightful. I I hope people take a cue from that and hands start going up. Yay. It definitely opens the space, doesn't it? It makes it so much easier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are some good things that happen when you're giving a 25 or 35 minute intro, and uh, and that's got its value as well. But I always like the 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 stimulation of energy when there's input. And the um, real time questions definitely make a difference to the show, and I think make it much more productive. Yeah, just like in the support groups, you know, there's um, a, a tremendous level of productivity that I can have and results I can get if I'm doing a worksheet by myself and there's a whole different level of energy if there's one or two other people with me when I'm doing that worksheet or <clears throat> making questions of you know, their own worksheet and uh, the interplay is delightful so absolutely I was working with someone just a, a couple of days ago, and um, they uh, they found themselves in a challenge and uh, dealing with a situation of having to be perfect. And I had the thought this morning, out of out of having worked with that person, because I had texted them of starting a thing that uh, uh, we call the self approval project. And this person was living in a world where they were constantly down on themselves. And I actually posted the other day a a quote on our Facebook page from a gentleman named Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. And here's what this person says. We, We are the only people on this entire planet who've been taught to sing and praise our own demeanment. I'm a bitch. I'm a hoe. I'm a gangster. I'm a thug. I'm a dog. If you can train people to demean and degrade themselves, you can oppress them forever. You can even program them to kill themselves, and they won't even understand what happened. And so the thought occurred to create something that we would call the self-approval project. And for people who utilize demeaning language about themselves, putting themselves down, you know, I'm no good, I'm incapable, I can't, blah, blah, blah. And starting a project engaging in, you know, just starting with uh, with the tool Julie uses in uh, in her book on healing children, loving children, of I am somebody. 
and recognizing that I am love and that we develop habitual conversations about ourselves and the people around us that are loving conversations instead of derogatory conversations. How that would, uh, would change the world is just amazing. So any other thoughts for you, Dr. Tim? Well, I routinely offer to people um, the commitment, my commitment, the who am I uh, for the child. And uh, I just had another parent in my office yesterday, and I gave him a copy of the who am I. And one of the ways that people have used that in years past is to teach the child breathing, a simple form of tapping, and to give them a copy of that who am I that basically says I am somebody, I'm bright and capable, and I learn easily, and I am somebody, I am love. It goes on and on. There's three paragraphs there. And then they instruct the child that whenever they're feeling upset, they can take a time out. They'll have a copy of that posted in their bedroom, and they can go in there and read that and breathe and tap until they're feeling better. Or if they get stuck and they're not feeling better, they're breathing and they're tapping and they're reading those words and it's not resolving, they can ask their parent for help. And in that way, they're they're literally programming the child with a more accurate description of their true nature and helping to uncover and dismantle some of the layers of conditioning that you're referring here to, as we've been taught to celebrate uh, degradation and self-demeaning thoughts and self-loathing thoughts. And I've had a number of people who say it's it's a very powerful tool. And the younger they start, um, the easier it is to unravel those beliefs. Absolutely. And well, it also for anybody gives... Who's- it, it gives ahead. the child the it gives the child the, the feeling of empowerment because they're upset and they feel like you know they're upset because of all these outside events and and then they go do something that they're choosing to do to read what's on the paper and to do the tapping and breathing and as a result of what they've chosen to do and what they initiate they feel better and it's just it's very empowering definitely Definitely. Well, let's let's share with uh, so that if there's anybody on the show who hasn't seen the I Am Somebody, here's how I Am Somebody, and this was created by Julie Haversick uh, based on the uh, the commitment, and uh, she has a child's form of the commitment as well. It's available and free on the website. If you just go to uh, ygam.org and you go to the search bar and put in Who Am I, this will come up. But here's how it goes: Who am I? I am somebody. I am bright, capable, and lovable. I am teachable and learn easily. I am willing, receptive to truth, and supportable. I am a gentle listener, and I am honest. I am respectful of myself and others. I am cooperative and responsible for my feelings and choices. I am able to see the highest and best in myself and others and support that with my thoughts, words, and actions. I'm able to use time wisely. Time is valuable to me. I am the best me I can possibly be each day. I am somebody. I am love. Imagine 
for the average person what life would be like if that were the only message they were ever given about themselves instead of some of the bizarre and insane messages that the world gives to children today. I remember one woman at a workshop where we asked, you know, what kind of messages were you given? And of course you've heard me share this before, but this woman shared that when she was six years of age, her father came to her and told her that until she had been born into the family, they had a perfect family and she destroyed the family. How bizarre a thought for a parent to give a child. What if the only thing children ever heard is, I am somebody, I am love. How different would the game be? And that's the difference we're looking to make in people's lives. So any other thoughts for you, Tim? Anything that you're seeing in the way of uh, patterns in practice today? That always is a nice gem that you, you give us. Well, it, it's uh, not too surprising, but it's very much in line with what we were just talking about. I've had two people already today whose um, unconscious began serving up the belief that they were unworthy because they are sick or because they aren't good enough. And they were working at peeling back the layers of where did the roots of this get planted and how deep do they go and what can I do to dismantle that? And of course, you know, we we talk about it in my work with clients just and patients just the way you do. I say all of the above. You know, here's a mind shifter you can use. Here's a series of worksheets you can do. Here's some breath work and some tapping and some uh, you know, shifting a focus and uh, trying on what if I were to let this thought in, and and so then here's another mind shifter that you can do. So, um, you know, one one person had the um, has has a vivid memory of a time when she was in a restaurant in the in the 1980s, and a waitress came over and said something to her, and here she is in 2016. And every time she thinks about that, she still has a strong emotional response. And it leads to all of these thoughts that there's something wrong with her, that she's defective. Even though her conscious logical mind says, I know that's not right. I know it was probably this woman's issue. But she still, from from in the 1980s, she still has a strong negative response every time she remembers the incident. And so it's, you know, here, here's a person who was born probably in the late 1950s. And so she's been conditioned for decades with just what you were talking about in this culture of self-degradation and self-demeaning thoughts and behaviors. And so she's got a lot of work to do. You know, in one of the arenas, Tim, that uh, it always strikes me as strange that this happens so much is in churches. A lot of churches, I think, in reaction to, you know, you don't want people getting egotistical, have gone too far the other way in dragging people into the mud and teaching people to drag themselves into the mud. I remember back uh, 
well, a year or so ago, we had a conversation with, um, oh, it's probably more than that. It's maybe two years ago now about the Yanta law that uh, Peter, who'd been at Heartland for a couple of years, actually believed was codified law in Sweden. Uh, this Yanta law that says, and Jeannie talked about it the other day, you're not supposed to be better than us, and you don't know more than us, and never see yourself as being worth anything. And it's just like, that's so all-pervasive around the planet. And it, it, it brings to mind, in, in one of the books, I think it was um, the book of Thomas that wasn't canonized in the ancient scriptures, uh, Yeshua laments and, and asks the question, it's like, how did such a magnificent creature as a human being get to be like this? Like, just, you know, he says it with, with shock and, and, you know, what, how, how is this possible? And it's possible because when the non-human mind is told anything and it believes it, it acts as though it's true. And that's just an amazing thing to understand. And it doesn't matter how far off base it is. It doesn't matter how illogical, how illegal, how immoral, how stupid it is. That mind will serve it up as a belief. And it's time for us to uproot those beliefs, forgive them. Remember that the word forgive is remove. It's got nothing to do with me letting somebody else off the hook for what's going on inside of me. It's how I remove what's going on inside of me, those insane beliefs. So, and Jeannie tells us that we've got a hand up, so let's say hello to our caller. All right. Yeah, we actually have two, but the first one is area code 954. I think this might be Monica. It is. Hey, how, well, Happy New Year. Well, to hear your voice, young lady. Happy Hi. New Year. We haven't heard from you in a while. I know. I've been going through some physical ups and downs recently, and uh, I've been listening but I, I just haven't felt much like reaching out to anybody. But I just really well, we're glad want... you reached out. Yes. <laughs> so why did you hear your voice? We're actually going to be over your way in uh, next week. I know. I know. I was looking at the calendar a few minutes ago. So looking cool. forward well, to I seeing hope you. We're going to get to see you. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you too. <laughs> well, I've. Um, I'm taking a lot in. I've been going twice a week to uh, Bible studies. And uh, right. while he's not following the Course in Miracles or following the teachings from Heartland, um, the pastor, is he runs his church out of his house. It's a very small uh-huh. congregation. And right. uh, he spends a lot of time interpreting the Bible, trying to clarify because there's so much misinformation that's been translated over right. the years. Yeah. And uh, he also shows movies. It's it's funny in a way, considering he seems so straight-laced, but he shows movies like, uh, where, what's a bleep? Um, oh, gosh, I forget the name of it now. Right. Um, yep. Down the Rabbit Water, Hole. Down the Rabbit Hole and The Secret and uh, Those Secrets of Water. And, uh, right. Emoto. Many, many, many things. Yeah, I mean, things you would think that someone like him would totally reject, and that's what he's offering. And his wife has a garden in their front yard. They grow most of their food themselves, and uh, they got me into a raw diet when I got out of the hospital. Awesome. uh, 
Yeah, I, I I don't have a garden myself, but I do have uh, something that's considered a weed. It's called purslane, and uh, mm-hmm. it it's got tons of omega H three and vitamins, and it's supposed to be a very good uh, thing to strengthen the body if you have cancer or other things too. Sounds like you're getting into real health care here. Well, I'm doing my best to learn. I, I just uh, it takes a while, and uh, trying to be open. Right now, I've, I'm, my main challenge, if I have one, is, is gaining an appetite. Um, I'll prepare a meal, and then I can manage about a bite or so of each thing, and then I, I can't eat anymore. And as a result, mm-hmm. I've lost a lot of weight. I mean, even from the last time you saw me, um, I think it was about 185 then. And then since Uh-oh. I came home... I gained, like, I was up to 250, and that was last year, uh, 2014. And then uh, I went on a diet to get grains out of my system because I was told that those are really not the best things, especially white grain, but just grains in general. And I just lost a ton of weight. But then after I was hospitalized and came out, um, couldn't get an appetite. I, I don't know. I guess the medications that they gave me, they were pretty heavy duty and the radiation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I admit I was ignorant. There's a movie called uh, about Stanislaw Brzezinski called Cut, Poison, and Burn. And that's Burn. basically yep. the bottom line description of what the American Medical Association does. And I've decided yep. to completely stop all of that no pharmaceuticals, none of that, because there's nothing in the Bible that says, by the grace of the American Medical Association, you're alive and you're healing. <laughs> no. Right. I, I challenge any doctor to point that out to me. Um, and I, I know I've spent months and months overcoming the side effects from these treatments, if you call them. And right. the idea is that they destroy your system to the point where you're almost dead. And then... Hopefully they don't kill the body, the person inside the body, uh, because uh, they're trying to kill off the the disease. Right. And yep. uh, so I'm I'm wondering, have you got any ideas about what one might do to increase appetite? I've tried meditating. I've tried praying. I've tried just. I, I'm kind of out of ideas. I can drink milk, raw milk. I that two or three times a day, but right. Well, my thought would be that you know perhaps your body's telling you how much food you need and can handle if it's been weakened by a lot of assault from chemicals. That it's been weakened and you can only digest so much at a time. So, what I would start doing as a starting point would be. Just making sure that meal that you prepared is kept as fresh as possible in, in the fridge or what have you, and eat that bite or two several times a day, you know, six, eight, ten times a day. And okay. your body will probably build back to where it will be able to handle more food at a time. But your body's pretty smart, 
and it's probably telling you this is as much as you need right now. This is all you can handle. You know, if you've got, if you've been through uh, chemo and that sort of stuff, the the weakening of of the system, and so just just make sure you've got that food handy, and go ahead and take that couple of bites each time that you can. Let your body digest it, and it'll call for more, and probably build your appetite from there. Okay. Well, that sounds something I can do. I I, I just Tired you know, don't don't sit around and wait. You know, if you can only eat a bite or two, don't sit around and wait for mealtime. Well, I'm supposed to eat at eight in the morning. I'm supposed to eat at noon. I'm supposed to eat at six, and then only are only able to eat a bite or two that three times a day. That's not enough. But you know, at eight o'clock, go ahead and have a bite or two. At ten o'clock, have a bite or two. At noon, at two, at four. You know, as your body's able to handle a little more food and bring it in, and especially if you're using, you know, fresh raw food live food, you're putting lots of nutrients in and your body will be able to efficiently use it. But I suspect it's telling you that it can only use it this quantity at this time. And so I'd be listening to it and and, uh, having the food handy. Okay. That sounds good. I know I get tired a lot. I've been limited and I tend to conk out in the middle of the day, just tired. Well, probably one of the biggest things missing in our culture in terms of healing is we're we're such a driven culture of accomplishment. You're not worth anything if you're not making money, if you're not working, if you're not producing. And so people drive themselves when really what they need to be doing is taking time to just heal, to rest, close their eyes, sleep and rest and take care of yourself. And I, I don't know the details of everything that you've been through. I know the last time we talked, you told me a few things that were going on, but it sounds like it's been pretty heavy duty, so I'd be making my first priority, giving myself time to rest and let real recuperation take place. Give yourself some good nutrients on an ongoing basis and rest. Sounds like a good way to go. Okay, I just, I've gotten to feel guilty. I have friends telling me I should be doing this, that, and the other thing, and they also tell me they're scared looking at me because I look like I'm, well, I'm down to about 115 pounds. Mm. And uh, I don't I Well, it sounds like you need to have your the food that you can eat there and available on a regular, ongoing basis. So I'd make sure that I eat several times a day and, and take in what you can each time at a time and then give yourself time to rest. And we'll hold the space. And if if you've got fear, I'd suggest some worksheets on fear, that you start to let that fear loose and really stand in a space where you can listen to your guidance and be told what you need to do. Okay. So I don't know if you're doing worksheets these days, but I'd dig them back out if you're not. Uh, If you go to whyagain.org and the, the bullseye in the middle of the page and click that, then... I'd be going to work on the emotional component of what's going on as well as working on the physical. Okay. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the fears expressed by my friends, I know it's something that I'm attracting. It's not about them criticizing me or hearing fear. There's something in me that's drawing that. So, yeah, I, I think the sheets would be a good idea. Dr. Tim, do you have any input for Monica? Dr. Tim, are you with us? 
Is your mute button on by chance? Jeannie, your mute button's on. I can hear you talking in the other room, but oh, I can't okay. hear you over the phone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Tim has dropped off the switchboard, so apparently oh, he okay. had a client. All right. Cool. All right. Well, we'll hold the space, and hopefully maybe uh, uh, next Sunday, if you've got the uh, the energy to do it, you might join us at uh, Unity on the Bay in Miami, North Miami. It would be awesome to get to see you and hug your neck. Okay. All right. Well, for sure. Enough do I have, go. you know, it's been a while since we talked. Do I have an accurate phone number for you? You should have, but I, I've, I've. Your numbers well, haven't I've, changed I've since it, last time we I've talked. I've got huh? it off the switchboard. Okay. okay, cool. Fabulous. All right, and we'll be in touch. Okay, thank you. God okay, bless. Monica. Lots of love. We'll hold the space. Blessings. Thank you. So All right, our caller number. Oh, great. Let's go for it. Area code two two four. You're on the air. Who do we have? Hi, it's Mary. How you doing? Hey, Mary. Well, hey there, young lady. We are well. How about you? I am good. Getting better all the time. Um, I had so many th- great conversations. So many comments I wanted to make, but I just wanted to tell a, a quick story, just regarding the guy who called in about hell and how you were explaining that. I'm just hoping right. that he has a great revelation of because to steal a guy Finley term, revelation. Um, that one time for me, I had been in an environment a lot like the Yanta Law you're talking about. It was like a you know a mega church basically. It was my work environment. That's how I was brought up. I've had all those same ideas that he did. But and and of course I'd, I'd read that that's not accurate. And I've, I'd read all that and I had that intellectually. But at one time, one of the first times I was talking to Dr. Tim, I don't even know what we were talking about. But he said to me, he just looked at me and he goes, "You know, there's no sin, right?" And I don't. I felt like I got slammed back three feet, and tornadoes went off in my brain, and it and my brain came out different, completely out of that conversation. And I guess I was just thinking, I hope that's what happens to this guy today, and that he has a, you know, a whole new perspective because that's how it worked for me. I hear you loud and clear. Those yep. those process moments are powerful, aren't they? And and you know, yep. uh, bringing the understanding that the word sin is in Aramaic an archery term, and it's just talking about energies that are off the mark. That that what this human system is made for is the presence of love. When we go into rage, we go into fear, sadness, guilt, and grief. Those things are off the mark. They just don't belong. And uh, it's, it's such a huge understanding from the huge. the old pounding I- of pain. Yeah. Yep, it was awesome. Changed my thinking completely. Cool. Yep, That's the beauty when you can change your thinking, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> There's plenty more changing my thinking I want to do, so I'm looking forward to the, the intensive. <laughs> yes, we'll see you uh, on the first uh, of February. That'll be awesome. Absolutely. Wonderful. In Orlando. Wonderful. Thank you. Uh, all right. All right. Lots well, of love and blessings. Thanks for the call, Mary. And boy, that's been a fast hour. We're we're down to just a few seconds. So I'm going to say uh, thank you for joining us. We're delighted and honored that you're here. We hold the space for you to be creating the best year yet of your eternal life. Thanks for joining us. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.mindshiftersradio.com.
www.whyagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com.